You know, it's interesting that, that when I work on a message and put it together and get up on Sunday morning and look at the paper, sometimes there's a connection that happens in a, in a really direct way. This is today's paper, page 15 on the left-hand side of the column. Um, there's a story in here about this guy in Detroit, in Rochester Hills, um, named Michael Brown. On July 2nd, at about 2.15... Um, he was coming out of a restaurant and he was on his motorcycle. And, and uh, he revved his motorcycle, uh, got the thing cranked up, taken off, spun out, and about a block away a police officer heard him um, really loud. Police officer comes after him, comes to, to pull him over, gets him to the side of the road, turns on his lights, gets him to the side of the road, and the guy on the motorcycle, Michael Brown, is, is ready for this. So when the officer pulls him over, as the officer gets out of the car, he's already got his bike in gear and immediately takes off and, um, and eludes the police officer. Uh, actually said that he went through the streets 35 miles an hour at 140. Um, lost the police officer and got away. Police officer didn't really have a description, didn't get the plates, uh, couldn't really do anything. Michael Brown, though, is a pretty smart guy. So a couple weeks later, he posted on Facebook to his friends, uh, that he was driving a motorcycle that fled Lake Orion police. Um, he provided information in his Facebook post that only the police officer could know and only he as the driver could know. And you know what's interesting? Police officers have Facebook too. Isn't that amazing? Um, and I think that this... Uh, uh, well, he ended his post with these two hashtags. Hashtag, no jail this weekend. And hashtag, everyone loved it. Guess what? Not everyone loved it. And the jail is happening. Um, he confessed to his crime. Today we're talking about confession. When we hear about confession, a lot of times we hear about, we think about like deathbed confession, right? Somebody who's ready to die, who opens up, tells their story, tells stuff from the past, maybe that they've never told before. There's a, there's a songwriter, uh, there was a songwriter in Israel that everyone in Israel knew, a lady named Naomi Shammer. Um, it's not a name that we would know, but she wrote a song in 1967 called Jerusalem of Gold. And it tells the story of the Israeli nation. And it was published, it, was, it uh, hit the airwaves right as the war with the Arabs in 1967 was happening. Uh, it took the country by storm, and it has become kind of a second national anthem for the nation of Israel. It's kind of like for us, we've got the national anthem, but then America the Beautiful is also this song that's just a part of the fabric of our culture. That's what it is in Israel with, with this song from Naomi Shemer. The, the issue, though, is from the time that it was first published, and, and uh, she was noted as the composer for this song, people said, I, I've heard that tune before. We think you got that tune from someplace else. And she said, no, 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 it was an original tune all the way through, went through, uh, really through her entire life. Um, and in 2004, it actually impacted her career because people didn't really trust her. They said, ah, we think that that sounds like this song. In 2004, she wrote a letter to uh, a fellow composer named Gil Aldeba. 
and expressed her regret that all of her life uh, she had claimed that that tune was her and she admitted that a couple of years before she wrote the song, she had heard that tune. It hadn't been intentional, but it had worked its way into that song and um, that she had indeed copied that tune. Why do people confess when they're ready to die? It's because they want to come clean, right? They don't want to face God with this sense of stuff that's left undone, the stuff that's there that needs to be taken care of. We're in this series called In the Light. It comes from 1 John. And in 1 John, if you, if you were here last week, I talked about the fact that 1 John is all about certainty. It's about certainty about Jesus, knowing who Jesus is. It's certainty about how to live as well. And today we're talking about one of those aspects in the certainty about how to live. We're talking about confession. And the last thing that's in 1 John is certainty about eternity, how to know ultimately that you have this relationship with Jesus that's going to last into eternity. Uh, If you've got your Bibles, take them out. If you've got your apps or if you've got a smartphone, go ahead and go to 1 John. We're going to pick up where we left off last week at verse 5 of chapter 1. And we're going to start at verse 5, but we're really going to zero in today on verse 9. This is what John wrote to the church, to be communicated to the churches throughout the country, throughout the, the, the uh, world. This is the message that we've heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light And in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and don't practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth isn't in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we haven't sinned, we make him a liar. His word isn't in us. In that section, and when we're talking about walking in the light, about confessing our sin, that the critical piece that's there is, is when we think, do we have sin in our lives or not? And, and probably the underlying question to that is, what's sin? You know, we think, we, oh yeah, when you murder somebody, that's sin. But is sin the little stuff? What, what, when the Bible talks about sin, what's it talking about? The word in Scripture, in the original language, means to miss the mark. It's this picture of a guy who's shooting an arrow and has the target, has the bullseye there, brings the the bow to the string, pulls it back, lets it go, and the arrow goes errantly off into the field. That's to miss the mark. That's what sin is. What the Bible teaches us is that God has this way for us to live. He designed us to function a certain way. And when we miss the mark, when we sin, it, it takes us out of the life that he designed us for. When we, when we write our own ticket, when we determine the way that we're going to go and it's not God's way, that's sin, that's missing the mark. We're all guilty. We all sin. So the question is, what do we do about that sin? What do we do about the guilt that we carry with us when we know that we've done something that we didn't want to do. We, we've got several different choices. The first choice is that, w- that we can just cover up our sin. We can cover up our sin. We can hide it. 
The thing about that is it takes lots and lots of energy, doesn't it? One of the ways that we cover up our sin is that we cover up our sin to ourselves. We compare ourselves to everyone else around us and we say, oh, I'm not bad. Look at that guy. That guy's doing this and this and this. I would never do those things. What he's doing is sin. What I'm doing, it's just, uh, it's not really that bad. So we compare ourselves to others. And in comparison, we look to ourselves pretty good. What we don't know is that the other person is looking at us and comparing themselves and saying they look pretty good compared to us, right? We cover up our sin. We point out the flaws in other people's lives so that we don't look as bad. Do you know some people that their life is consumed by picking out the flaws in other people, by exposing the sin in their lives, and they miss what's in their own? For us, it's easy for us to rationalize to ourselves and to others. And when we do, we're not dealing with the core issue, the sin that's in our life. Sometimes we, we try and protect uh, what others think of us. We know what's going on inside of us. We know that darkness that's there. We know that sin that's inside us, but we don't want anybody else to see it. So we cover it up. We protect it. Our hope is that we never get exposed, right? That we never get caught. And yet Scripture is plain that one day we'll answer to God. Another way that we cover up sometimes is to simply ignore the sin that's in our life. We deaden our conscience. We convince ourselves that it's not really any big deal. Can you relate to that? Sometimes we say, oh, it's not that important. It's kind of like when we cut our femoral artery in our leg and we say, oh, it's not my aorta. It's not my carotid artery, so it's no big deal. And what we fail to recognize is that when an artery gets cut, if it's not taken care of, we're going to bleed out. It doesn't matter what artery it is. It's only a matter of how quickly that's going to happen. It's kind of like the, you know, the eight-year-old boy that goes out and, and plays during the summer, and he's out in the dirt playing with his friends, doing all of his stuff. And um, mom says, come home, it's time to go to bed, you've got to take a bath. And the, and the kid says, no, I'm not dirty. He's looking at his hands, he can wash his hands, but he can't see his neck, his ears, all that other stuff. And he says, I'm not dirty. He convinces himself that it's no big deal when in reality it, it is um, completely. Um, the psalmist says to ignore our sin inside us is to be eaten away from the inside out. David in, in Psalm 32 says, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, God, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. John in 1 John describes when we, when we ignore our sin, when we pretend that it's not there, when we cover up, he describes us as walking in darkness. David's son Solomon wrote in Proverbs 28, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper. When you hide your sin, it will never advance your, your cause. George Strotter, a pastor in Fresno, California, wrote, 
Some of you have so much secret baggage, you need a walk-in closet for your skeletons. Think about that. We have so much stuff that we've hidden away from everybody that it just takes this larger and larger space in our lives. Thinking that you don't sin is, is like that kid playing in the dirt again. It says, am I, am I dirty? I don't know. Maybe, maybe a better illustration of that, and f- please forgive me, women, but this illustration works really, really well. Um, there, our sin that we live with, that we pretend is not there and we kind of become immune to, is kind of like a woman who wears perfume. And when she's a teenager, she just puts on a little bit. And as she gets a little bit older... Her nose has kind of become immune to that perfume, and she puts on a little bit more. And as she gets lots older, her nose is not smelling it at all. And she puts on a ton. And she's thinking, man, I smell so pretty. I've got just this little scent uh, around me. And everyone else in her life knows immediately as soon as she walks in the door. Because that fog that haze of perfume that she's putting on in order to be able to smell at that point, it permeates the room as soon as she walks in. Everyone knows she's there. Everyone else recognizes that, and she's become oblivious to it. That's the way it is with sin in our life. We pretend like it's no big deal that it's not there, and everyone else knows that it is, that it's real. But we try and cover it up. Understand this morning, that's never going to work. You're always going to live in fear of being exposed, of being discovered, of being outed. You'll live behind a mask, and your relationships, the relationships in your life will never, never be as deep as they could be. They'll never be the kind of relationships that God designed because we carry the stuff in our past that we've hidden away. They'll always be something that is between those and the people that we love. We'll never experience true joy because we know that in an instant it could all be gone. In an instant the police could arrive and everything changes. In an instant someone could make a phone call to your wife or to your boss and everything's gone. In an instant that person from your past could show up that you never thought you'd see again and everything changes. We can try and cover up our sin, but it's never going to be effective Our other option is to confess our sin. John says, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins, God's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and and, and, um, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. David, when he wrote in Psalm 32, the, the larger text from what I read just a moment ago was this. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in, whom, in, and in whose spirit there's no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I didn't cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. 
You know, I said in Scripture, sin means to miss the mark. That's, that's the definition of what that term means. The word confess in Scripture, we think of it in terms of a legal sense, but what it really means in Scripture is to say the same thing as, to agree with. So when we confess sin, we're saying, God, what you say is sin is sin. God, what you say in my life is sin. That's, that's sin. It separates us from you. I've missed the mark. When we confess, we agree with God that sin is indeed sin. No more rationalizing. No more excuses. No more pleading ignorance. What God calls sin, I'm going to call sin as well. Max Lucado said, what's confession? Confession isn't complaining. If I merely recite my problems and rehash my woes, I'm whining Confession is a radical reliance on grace, a proclamation of our trust in God's goodness. I love that. Pope John Paul II said, confession is an act of honesty and courage, an act of entrusting ourselves beyond sin to the mercy of a loving and forgiving God. Psalm 119 is the longest book in the Bible. If you open up your Bible and you go to the middle of Psalms, you'll find Psalm 119. And it goes on in many Bibles for pages. It's all about the Word of God. The psalmist says, I love your Word over and over and over again. In the middle of Psalm 119, the psalmist writes these words, My soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your Word. When I told my ways... When I confessed my ways, you answered me. Teach me your statutes, God. Make me understand the way of your precepts, and I will meditate on your wondrous works. You know, there are some questions, I think, when we, when we look at this whole idea of confession, that it just helps us to get our arms around. Um, the first question is this, when, when should you confess? When does that happen? When do you confess your sin? As soon as you become aware of it. That's the time to do it. Just as soon as the Holy Spirit convicts you, as soon as you think, you know what, I shouldn't have done that, that's the time to take care of that issue. Because when we confess our sin, when we say that that is sin, just like God says, it allows us to deal with that sin at that moment. Until we confess it, it's just going to hang around and be a part of our lives. But once we confess it, then we can address it and begin to allow God to do His work in our lives. What should you confess? Now, should we confess everything? Should we confess just the big stuff, just the little stuff? What? Here's the, here's the answer. What should we confess? Every sin of which you're aware. Anything that God brings to mind, we need to confess. And that confession needs to be specific. Uh, it's so easy for us to say, oh, yeah, I'm a sinner. God, forgive me of all my sins. I got lots. Forget and to just talk in general terms. You know, if I walk into the police off, into a police department and I say, I've broken the law, I need you to arrest me, what's the police officer going to do? He's going to say, what law did you break? Did you jaywalk? Did you steal a candy bar? Did you shoot someone? What's the basis of your breaking the law? Because once that officer understands what law I've broken then they can deal with it. Then they can figure out what the appropriate way to deal with that particular issue is. When someone says, 
I'm a sinner. Nobody has an issue with that, right? We all know, we recognize, yeah, we're all sinners. We know that that's true. But when somebody says, I'm watching porn and I can't stop. I'm cheating on my expense account every month. My spouse and I are fighting and it's been three weeks since we even acknowledged each other's presence. I'm buying stuff I don't need with money I don't have and I can't stop. When it begins to get specific, that allows God to do his work on that issue in our heart. Let me just say, are we in danger in terms of our relationship with God if we don't confess every sin? Is it going to be the kind of thing that we stand before God on the day of judgment and God says to us, you know, you sinned in 1983 on July 12th and you never confessed that. Um, Not at all. Not at all. Because when Jesus died, he died to cover all of our sinfulness. Every aspect of our sin. Nothing held back. There's nothing too great that Jesus' sin can't take care of. But when the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, we need to be open and honest and agree with God and confess that sin back to him. Whether that's big or small, whether that's uh, something everyone's aware of or no one's aware of. The, The trouble for us is we live in a culture that is so busy and has so much activity that we don't have time for self reflection. We've lost the discipline of the contemplation of sin. What will happen for most of you as soon as you leave the auditorium today and go out and hop in your car? Start the car. The next thing that you'll do is turn on the radio if it's not on, right? As soon as you go home, what's the first thing that you'll do? Grab the remote, flip on the TV. We've got to have so much stuff going on in our life, activity, stuff that demands our attention that we don't have time to think about ourselves, to think about our souls, to think about the sin that exists in our life and to let the Holy Spirit do his work. If we're aware of sin in our lives, if we're aware of sin in our lives, why would we not confess that? Why would we not agree with God that that is indeed sin and confess it to him? The, the French philosopher Jean-Jacques Rousseau said this, it's not the criminal things that are the hardest to confess, but the ridiculous and the shameful. When we confess the little stuff, all of a sudden, the, the, the cleanliness that God can bring, the forgiveness that God, God can bring us covers every part of our lives. To whom should you confess? To whom should you confess? Always to God. Confess always to God. That's where it's got to start. God is the one who defines sin. So when when we need to confess, it always needs to start with God. But then it needs to be with someone that you trust. That may be an accountability partner. That may be a mentor. It may be your spouse. It may be uh, a close friend. It may be your life group. But we need to confess sin to each other as well. And we need to confess to the people that we've wronged. You know, um, when our sin impacts other people, we need to confess that to those people who have been wronged. 
Uh, now, there's, there's a question that I think that's there for all of us. Um, should we confess the specific nature of all of our sin to everyone? You know, should I come to the stage every Sunday and say, oh, you won't believe what I did this week, um, and, and start walking down through the litany of my life? No, that doesn't make sense at all. That, scripture doesn't teach us that we're supposed to just vomit our stuff on people. But we do need to confess our sin to God. We do need to confess our sin, it says, to one another, to a trusted friend, to the people that we've wronged. We need to allow God's light into our lives in that way. I don't know if you know this or not, but four of the 12 steps that are a part of AA, that are a part of Celebrate Recovery, four of the 12 steps deal with this aspect of confession in one form or another. Step number five says, I've admitted to God, to myself, and to another human being the exact nature of the wrong that I've done. I've admitted to myself, to God, to other humans the nature of my wrongs. Uh, step number eight says, I've, uh, um, I've made a list of all persons that I've harmed, and I've be- become willing to make amends to all of them. Step number nine says, I'm making, I've, I have made amends to all of them. Step number 10 says, um, continue to take personal inventory, and when we wrong, we promptly admit it. Four of the 12 steps deal with that aspect of confession and how it impacts our life. Why should you confess? I know it's easy to walk out of here and say, oh, yeah, Rick talked about it on Sunday morning. Yeah, it's there in First John. But why should we? Because we recognize that God is ultimately our judge, that he's our only audience, that he's the only one it matters to, and we need to agree with him. When we confess, some things happen. Confession triggers our forgiveness and our spiritual healing. John said, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When we confess, God brings spiritual healing, forgiveness to us. Confession brings our sin as well out into the open. If if you remember the story in the Old Testament about David, David's the king of Israel. He's up on his roof. He looks out and sees Bathsheba bathing on the top of another house. He calls for her, asks her to come to his house. He sleeps with her, commits adultery. David's got lots of wives, but he wants Bathsheba. Bathsheba becomes pregnant, and David thinks, oh, how do I cover myself? He brings Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, a soldier, back from the battle and and tries to convince him to sleep with his wife. Uriah won't. Because he knows that, he's, that as a soldier, that's not fair to the rest of, of the soldiers that he serves with. Uriah won't sleep with her. Ultimately, David sends Uriah to the front of the battle and withdraws the rest of the army so that Uriah is killed in battle. David thinks that he's covered his tracks until a prophet named Nathan comes to him and tells him a story. Tells him a story about a man who had thousands of sheep and a man who had one you lamb that he loved. And the man uh, who had thousands of sheep had a visitor come and wanted to, to have a meal. And so he took the lamb from this one man, from the shepherd who only had one, killed it, and, and served it up to his guests. David's response was, that man should be killed. What he did was evil. And Nathan said to him, you are that man. In the midst of that moment, 
David writes these words afterwards from Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what's evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. When we confess our sin, it brings it out into the open where it can be dealt with and taken care of. Interestingly enough, Scripture teaches that confession may be the key to our physical healing when stuff's going on in our bodies. James, in his letter, wrote this, Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as as it's working. You know, in my opening illustration about Naomi Shemer, um, the the composer from Israel, um, she went all through her life covering her tracks, trying to convince people that, that she hadn't plagiarized this song. And weeks before she dies from cancer, she writes to uh, this fellow composer, Gil Aldama, and um, in that letter, she wrote these words. I consider the entire affair a regrettable work-related accident, so regrettable that it may be the reason for me being ill. Naomi, Naomi Shemer recognized that, that her life spent trying to cover her tracks, trying to convince herself and trying to convince others that she hadn't plagiarized this song, she had so internalized that conflict. She had so tried to protect herself that she believed that her cancer may have been the result of that. James says, confess your sins to one another, pray for one another, that you may be healed. When we confess, when we receive forgiveness, joy is restored to our lives. Confession and forgiveness restore joy to our lives. David in Psalm 51 continues a little bit later and says, Purge me with hyssop and I'll be clean. Wash me, I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take, your, take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold within me a willing spirit. We've got to confess. It changes everything for us. One, one last thing I want to share that's, that's just an interesting thing. Confession, confession has the power to... Dest- it... it, it can destroy the power of temptation in our lives. Four or five years ago, I was at the Exponential Conference down in uh, Florida. I had heard a speaker. He was talking about church planning stuff, but he's, he was just sharing some stuff out of his life. This guy's name was Neil Cole. And he said, hey, here's what I found. Um, when I confess temptation, when I confess sin to somebody that's close to me, that temptation, that sin loses its power. He was, he was talking about the context particularly about stuff that he had seen on TV or in movies, images of women and, and the issue of lust. And he said, he said, you know, when I see that stuff, it gets in my head and I can't get it out. I can't get it out. I can't get it out. He said, but what I found is when I tell my friend, 
when I tell my wife about having seen those images, they vanish. They no longer have any power in my life because I've confessed that temptation. I've confessed that sin. If you're struggling, if you're struggling in an area and you just feel like Satan just keeps bombarding you, man, let me, let me, let me encourage you, confess that to someone because it breaks the power of Satan. The secretness of sin, Satan capitalizes at every turn. It's, that's true in, in, in issues of lust, it's true in gossip, it's true in wasting time, it's true in any kind of addiction or overeating. Why do you think Alcoholics Anonymous brings people together into a meeting? Why do you think Weight Watchers brings people together into a meeting? Because when you talk about the temptation, when you talk about the struggle, it loses some of its power. Louis Casals was an editor for UPI in the mid-1900s. He wrote this, in confession, in confession, we open our lives to healing, reconciling, restoring, to the uplifting grace of him who loves us in spite of what we are. Erwin Lutzer, who was the senior pastor of Moody Bible Church in Chicago for 36 years and just, just retired this last May, wrote this, forgiveness is always free, but that doesn't mean confession is always easy. Sometimes it's hard, incredibly hard. It's painful to admit our sins and entrust ourselves to God's care. Before I conclude, there, there are three just kind of side issues that I just want to share this morning that I think are important. One, one is this. Confession and repentance are not the exact same thing. Confession is when we agree with God that what he says is sin is sin in our lives, and we tell him, we tell another person. Repentance is the change of heart that is involved in us to create a new path, a new direction. Repentance focuses on our heart. Confession is agreeing with God. Um, it's important to know that because it's easy, it may be easy for us to confess our sin, to say, oh, God, I've messed up here, I've messed up here, and to be specific, to do all the things that we've talked about. And God has said that he's faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins, but we'll just keep repeating the process because we haven't repented of the sin. Repentance involves a change of heart. It involves uh, God, His Holy Spirit working inside us that says, I can't, I can't keep doing that because I know the separation it causes between God and myself. Uh, the second, just again, side issue that I, that I want to share is this. Um, I've got a lot of friends who, who worship God in the context of Catholicism. And when you hear the words, confess your sins, that's synonymous for you with a place, the confessional, and a person the priest. Understand this, what we're talking about today, it can happen with a priest in a confessional, but it's not limited to that time or place. Next week, we're actually going to talk about that issue. We're going to talk about um, what John says about whether we need someone in that place to connect us back to God. It comes in the next few verses, so be sure and be a part of that. The third thing I want to share is this, the promise that's there in 1 John chapter 1, if we confess our sins, God's faithful to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That promise was made to followers of Jesus. 
to people who had given their lives completely to him. That's not a blanket promise to the whole world. It is a blanket promise that the whole world can experience, but only after they've entered into a relationship with Jesus, with him coming in, taking over their hearts and being saved. If today you don't have that kind of relationship, understand that the promise of forgiveness is not a promise that you've experienced yet, but you can have that relationship with Jesus today. Jesus said this, whoever confesses me before men, I'll confess before my Father who's in heaven. So when we say in front of our friends, in front of our family, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus. I have fallen in love with Jesus. I have allowed Jesus to come in and have complete control of my life. Jesus says, at that point in time, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. Everything changes. Romans chapter 10, Paul writes, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. With the heart, one believes and is justified. With the mouth, one confesses and is saved. You can have that relationship with him today because one day we will all stand before God. We'll all be held accountable for our actions, for our thoughts, for our relationships. Scripture is plain about that. Paul wrote to the church in Corinth and said, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what's due for what he's done in the body, whether good or evil. We'll all stand before God. We've got to have Jesus to stand, to provide the forgiveness for us of our sin. The writer of Hebrews said, it's appointed for man to die once. After that comes judgment. We will all face that. So the question is, for you, where you are right now, are you guilty? Are you not guilty? Are you carrying that sin that's hidden in, from your past? Are there, are there aspects of your life right now that you're shielding from everybody, maybe that you don't even want to admit to yourself that you haven't given up yet? And if so, understand that that's guilty but that when we confess our sins, when we fully choose to follow Jesus, when we allow him to have heart, everything changes. And that status changes from guilty to not guilty. You know, to finish the message today, I, I, for me was actually kind of easy because I think you all know what your action step is today, right? It's, e it's easy. It's come clean. It's confess whatever is in your life that you haven't talked to God about, that you haven't shared with somebody else. Come clean. Come clean with God. Come clean with your closest friends. Come clean with anyone that you've wronged and make it right. That's what it's about. We're going to finish today with a prayer on video that can help us do that. Take a look on screen. Most merciful God. Most merciful God. The creator of everything we see. Gracious. Loving. The God to whom I serve. We confess that we have sinned against you. That we have sinned against you. That we have sinned against you. In thought. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Word. I know my words can hurt people. I know my words can help people. Indeed. What I do matters but I don't always get it right. By what we have done and by what we have left undone, 
there's so many opportunities to help people, and we just don't take them. We have not loved you with our whole heart. With everything we are. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry, and we humbly repent. For everything we have done. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ. The one who died on the cross for our sins. The resurrection and the life. Have mercy on us and forgive us. Make us white as snow. That we may delight in your will. Your good and perfect will. And walk in your ways. We know that you walk beside us. To the glory of your name. The glorious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.